Welcome back to Over Here. My name is Nick Finzer, and today we are chatting with great bassist and composer and audio engineer on all around great musician, Jake Leckie. Jake moved to LA not too long ago, about six months ago, and before that was in New York. And uh, he has a new album, The Abode, out wherever you like to stream music. And uh, we had a chance to connect and have a conversation about the record and about a new CD release show coming up. So without further ado, here's Jake. We're back with Over Here, and my name is Nick Finzer. I'm on the phone, on the computer, with uh, Jake Leckie, a great bassist, currently based in L.A. We used to know each other in New York, and he's just been all over the place. And so I just want to say thank you to Jake for joining us today. Jake, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Good to talk to you, Nick. And Jake has just released a brand new album uh, called The Abode, and it features a lot of his music and playing skills as well. So we wanted to uh, take a minute to just chat about the record and kind of see what's happening with Jake and introduce you all to him. So Jake, could you tell us a little bit about the record, uh, who's on it, and about the music? Yeah, sure. So the record um, is uh, eight songs, uh, eight original compositions. Um, originally, when I had decided to record these, uh, it was just gonna, going to be a quartet record with uh, trumpet, piano, bass, and drums. But um, right around the time that I booked the session, uh, my wife and I decided to move out west. And so the session took a lot more, took on a lot more gravity. And I decided to sort of invite, I booked another day at the studio, invited everybody uh, who I'd been working with in New York, including a string quartet and saxophone player, uh, Caroline Davis, and a vocalist and a percussionist to come and play on the record as well. So it's sort of like, I'm leaving guys, let's all you know get together one last time in the studio and make something. Um, and I'm just really, really happy with the result. Uh, everybody played really beautifully on it. And um, yeah, something I'm very, very proud of and sort of became a uh, capstone of my of my New York experience, you know, something that I was able to do right before I left uh, and sort of bring everybody in there. Um, the I actually owe a lot of credit to a piano pianist friend of mine, uh, Chris McCarthy, who um, he had to sub out a band leading gig at Shapeshifter Lab. Uh, this is almost two years ago now, mm-hmm. and he said, "Do you want to? Can you can you be on the bill? Can you do you have a band? And can you you know put put together a put together a set for this show? I can't make it. I can't you know I have to I have to be somewhere else. So I took the opportunity and I was like, yeah, let's do it. And it was two weeks away. Um, and I didn't have a band and I didn't have a lot of original music. So it sort of forced me to write a whole bunch of original tunes. And uh, and it came off really great. I, we played a, a set of eight original pieces, some of which ended up on the record. Um, and then I decided to keep moving forward with that band. The band is uh, uh, Nathan Elman Bell on drums, Kenny Warren on trumpet, and Sebastian Amon on piano. Um, and they are you know, three of my absolute favorite people, uh, you know, they're, they're good friends of mine and they're also three of my favorite musicians in New York. So I feel really fortunate to, uh, you know, be able to work with those guys and continue, continue a relationship and trust them with my, with my music. Um, and so that was sort of how it originated. Uh, as I was thinking about these, uh, uh, hold on a second. I have somebody at my window. Oh boy! 
I want to step aside just for a second. We'll circle back to the record and what's happening with the record. But I always like to kind of get people kind of an overview of kind of what you're about and where you've come from and all that. So could you give people a little background? Like, where did you grow up? How did you start playing the bass? And what? how did you get from where you started to L.A. now? Um, so I'm originally from uh, Boston, Massachusetts. I grew up right outside in a town called Brookline. Um, from there, I uh, went to school in Baltimore at Johns Hopkins, where I was a anthropology major, um, mostly because I was interested in ethnomusicology. And Hopkins has a really great uh, conservatory attached to it called Peabody. Um, and so while I was an undergrad, I was able to cross-register for ensembles and classes and uh, private lessons over there with uh, Michael Formanek. And uh, when I graduated, I sort of snuck in the back door of the program at Peabody doing, um, I stayed on for an audio science degree, a master's degree there. Uh, so I was able to continue studying with Mike and the, the faculty of the conservatory there. Um, from there, uh, I got my first job out of grad school, I taught I taught an adjunct course, and then I was off to the Banff Center for the Arts um, in Alberta, mm -hmm. um, which is a beautiful uh, interdisciplinary art center in Western Canada. Um, and it was kind of a magical time to be there. There were some amazing musicians there that semester uh, who became lifelong friends and collaborators. Um, and I was there as a work study audio engineer working in the recording studio. Um, you know, recording concerts, but I, I had brought this uh, travel upright bass with me, and I was the only bass player on campus at that time. Um, and up until then, I, I, you know, I'd really thought of myself as an audio engineer first and as a bass player second. I'd always played, but, um, you know, being there in that environment with a bunch of people who had been through the conservatory system, I started to pick their brains about what they practiced and what I had to get together, um, I was really interested in uh, a couple things at the time. I'd always played jazz. You know, I came up, you know, working as a jazz musician since high school, I guess. But I got really interested in chamber music when I was there, um, mostly through the lens of uh, sort of Astor Piazzolla and, and some uh, Cuban danzón music where you have, uh, I feel like that kind of music is a, is a good place where, uh, classical musicians feel like they're sort of interpreting and improvising and jazz musicians feel like they're playing chamber music. Mm -hmm. um, so I really got interested in chamber music from there and got really serious about practicing the bass and sort of filling in the holes of what I had missed because I don't, you know, I don't have a degree in performance. I uh, had to sort of, I'm still, I mean, we're all still doing a lot of work, but I had to do a lot of sort of catch up work and, you know, learn a lot more about theory and technique on my instrument and all sorts of things. Um, and from the BAMP Center, I met some really great musicians from Montreal and I followed them there and lived in Montreal for nine months. Uh, my girlfriend at the time and now wife was still living in Baltimore and we wanted to be together. So from Montreal, I moved to New York uh, so we could be together. Um, was in New York for a year, uh, working a day job at Symphony Space, which is a great venue on the Upper West Side. Um, at the time, I didn't feel like I could really hang as a professional musician. Um, I still had a lot to learn a lot to do and I would go out to jam sessions and you know really 
get challenged at these at these jam sessions and the next day i wouldn't have time to wake up and practice i'd have to wake up and go to work so when an opportunity came for us to move to baltimore back down to baltimore where we had been at school um, i was happy to take it because that was a place where you could live uh, inexpensively and i could spend more time on my instrument practicing because i had sort of in new york been shown what the level of musicianship was uh, that you needed to sort of make it there and i didn't feel like i was there yet so baltimore was not an opportunity for me to go and just really practice and get together all the things that i felt like i had to do you know learning uh, 2000 standards and you know really getting my sight reading together and learning about advanced harmony and playing out you know all the sort of musicianship things that i'd seen people do effortlessly in new york that i wanted to have and then i had this opportunity to sort of live on the cheap for a little while and practice those things um from there we moved to san francisco for a year um which was a good stepping stone for me to get back to New York, actually, because San Baltimore is a little bit too small to really have a lot of professional gigs. Um, but San Francisco is a place with some established work. So I was able to work in San Francisco as a professional musician and then make the move to New York. Um, and I feel like this time, after being sort of chewed up and spit out by New York, going back to it was really great. I sort of felt like I could, you know, hang as a musician, uh, make it there on a professional level. Um, and then after spending three years there, we decided to move back out west to L.A. And uh, that's that's where we are now. <laughs> it's a long story. No, it's good. It's even more nuanced than I knew. I knew you had been all over, but I didn't. I didn't realize all the places and I make sense because you're have, you know, a depth to your, your understanding from all sides. Um, right. so I'm interested, this is maybe a little bit of a selfish question, but like, so as a, having an audio engineering, you know, background, I guess, how does that affect the way that you perceive music in terms of the recording process and maybe even just like when you're playing gigs? Um, I think, you know, it's, it's all uh i mean it's all about listening and to, and to me the the audio engineering thing i'd gotten into it you know I'd, i got my first cassette four track when i was in seventh grade and we were making records in my friend's basement and i was making you know bouncing things to my tape machine when i was really young so it's sort of like music and and audio all always sort of went hand in hand and so recording stuff has always been very sort of second nature to me mm -hmm. um i i think being a musician uh, uh how, do, how can i describe this um i the the way i the way i like to work is you know getting getting up like recording a performance i i think that when i like especially with this record we did every everything at least the quartet live in the room you know uh not a lot of isolation i really like you know this being able to hear everybody really well um i don't like being isolated in a bass booth i don't like wearing headphones if i don't have to mm -hmm. Um, cause I feel like that, that affects the listening and the communication between, between the people. Um, I think I'm not, I'm not sure exactly, uh, how being an audio engineer affects my musicianship outside of, I've just really trained my ears in a couple of different ways, but I still view it all as, 
ear training, you know, I sort of, you know, there's the sort of harmonic ear training that we do to sort of, if you can hear chords and, and hear what you can play over chords and what sounds dissonant and what sounds consonant. Um, but then you're also listening to timbre and how the effect of, you know, how, how the sound of the ride cymbal is going to affect your time and things like that. Um, so I've also, you know, I sort of have trained my ears in, in a couple of different ways where I've, I have that, the, the musicianship ear training, but also the the audio engineering, you know, I've trained my ears to hear frequencies and dynamic content and that kind of thing too. Yeah. So turning our attention, you know, back to the record, how, how do you think that, um, you know, all these, all these things like either helped or not hindered, but helped or shaped the way that, you know, put this record together? Cause I mean, a lot of people won't go through the trouble of what you did of doing, um, like string sections and overdubs and then like going to mix the vinyl and going, I think you went somewhere <laughs> to do the vinyl mastering separately and like all of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was, um, uh, I, I, I guess I had a hand in, in every process. I, I wrote the music. I played on the record. I, um, you know, I was there, uh, you know, engineering for the for the vocal session and the and for this. I, I played with the string quartet, but I was, you know, sort of hand had a hand in the engineering. And then I went, and I edited and mixed the record. And that was actually when we were moving. I edited the record on my laptop uh, between between homes. Then when I got set up in my house here, I got my mixing set up, and so I mixed the record here. And then the mastering engineer. A.T. Michael McDonald was my uh, professor at Peabody. And um, one thing that really affected my process is that I knew that I wanted him to master it. So every decision I was making from, you know, from the very first recording session, I knew that his ears were going to be on it. And I and I know the way he listens. And he's one of these people where I can sit with him and listen to a mix and I can anticipate you know, what, what he's going to say and what his comments are going to be. Cause you know, I studied with him for a long time and I really respect his, his ears. So I, uh, from the beginning I was making choices where I knew I was going to have these golden ears listening to my record as a very last process. So I wanted to make sure the engineering was really great and the mixes were really happening and everything. And so he could really do his, his magic on it and that he would, that he would like it, you know? Yeah, well, that's cool that you're able to, you know, shape it to to that level of, of nuance, you know. Yeah, and I think that level of detail and that level of, you know, uh, care is comes through in the music when you listen to it. I mean, at least to me, you can hear when somebody really cares about the project or like when it's just like a, you know, a system of people that kind of push it push it along from one thing to the next. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, so I know you wanted to talk a little bit. You've got a show coming up with with the band, the music. Yeah. So um, the the release show in LA is a week from today. Uh, it's uh, Thursday, February twenty first at Art Share, which is in the downtown Arts District, at eight p.m. And uh, I'm very fortunate to that, uh, you know, three of out of four of us who are on the original record, the, the original quartet are going to be there. Uh, Sebastian Aman is going to be out in L.A. on piano, and Kenny Warren is going to be out here on trumpet. Um, uh, Nathan is on tour. Uh, 
so uh, I have a great Dutch drummer who lives in LA named Kevin Van Den Elzen, who's going to be um, on drums for this show. So I'm really excited about that, um, and I think uh, it should be a, a really great show. And I'm excited to to present to present the music here. Awesome. So how's the transition been to LA? Like, what kind of gigs are you playing? What kind of stuff are you doing? Um, the transition. Uh, at first was a little bit tough for me. I, I think, um, I had grown accustomed to the pace of how things move in New York, um, where, you know, you meet a musician at a jam session or on a gig or something and you like, they're playing and, you know, it's like, what do you, you know, what are you doing tomorrow? Let's play a session. Let's get together this week. You know, let's make something happen right away. Um, here it's, uh, things happen a little bit more slowly. Um, there aren't, there isn't as much of a jam session culture either publicly or privately. Um, but people do want to get together and play. It just sort of takes a little bit longer to, to get things moving. I feel, um, so at first things were, felt a little bit slow. And I think part of that was just, that's just the way, uh, LA is. But uh, the other part of that is just sort of the pace at which I had been, I'd been used to working. Um, but now uh, I had this moment the other night. Uh, I've been playing in the, in the in the house band at a jam session on Monday nights, and and I looked around the room. Uh, I was we were playing the last tune of the night, and I looked around the room. And there are all these musicians there, and I'd been here for six months, and uh, I knew I knew everybody in the room, and some of these people have become close friends of mine now, and I love some of their some of the playing there's a really high level of musicianship here and i finally felt like i had i had found a community of people here that i really loved and respected and something clicked for me that night and that just happened a couple of weeks ago um, and since that moment uh things have felt amazing and i've been working a lot and uh, doing a lot of interesting music um there's a lot of really really great jazz music here there's a good straight ahead scene um, there is, you know, a, certainly the, the sort of pop R&B influence, but there's also this really great uh, creative music scene happening. Um, you know, Jeff Parker's out here and Chris Speed's out here now. And so there's this whole scene that they've been cultivating around um, some music that's a little bit uh, more outside of the box. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot going on here and there's a lot of opportunities for session work and film scoring stuff. And I've been composing more and uh, you know writing some production music and fortunately i've you know still have a couple projects i've been i was producing in new york i'm i'm still mixing some projects here that we recorded uh before i left um so yeah it's been it's been really really great um in the last in at least the last couple of weeks since i've sort of felt like i've gotten my uh feet under me awesome that sounds like you're super busy just <laughs> rolling along <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> Yeah, I, did I yeah. hear right that David Binney moved back to LA too? Yeah, David Binney's here for sure. Yeah, I haven't um, I haven't seen him play yet, but I know he's around, and I have some friends who've been doing sessions with him and stuff. So, nice. yeah, there's some there's some. I mean, the the level of musicianship out here is very high, uh, and there's also a lot of really interesting music happening. And it, it you know sometimes it takes a little bit longer to tease people out of the woodwork mm -hmm. but once you find them it's amazing <laughs> you know wow interesting yeah that's cool though <clears throat> so um the abode is available wherever people want to 
listen to it, stream it, buy it. Um, but where can people stay in touch with you? What's the best place for people to, to follow, to message, et cetera? Um, I have uh, an Instagram uh, at JK Lecky, um, and the same for Facebook. Uh, and then my website is uh, jakelecky.com. Amazing. Well, Jake, thanks for taking some time to, to chat and to battle with the, uh, the parking situation surrounding you. <laughs> thanks. Oh, it's great to talk to you. Thanks. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Sounds good. Take care. All right. Thanks, Jake.